Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. What's up, brothers? This is Scott, and today on the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast, we have Matthew Pates. He is the coach's coach, and I am excited to have this conversation. His focus is on helping clients understand their early childhood survival patterns and root cause of emotional trauma. Why? Because he has an amazing story. We're going to dig into that because I think we all have stories that we deal with, and uh, quite honestly, until we deal with those stories in our early childhood, we've got to, uh, we're not going to grow the way we need to grow. But first, if you have not plugged yourself into the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, you need to hop on Facebook, search Brotherhood of Fatherhood in groups and join. Now, if you're not on Facebook, you should get on Facebook just for that reason. You can skip all the other BS, go right to that group where you can have conversations, get advice, see what's up in other men's lives. Just do it. It's awesome. Another thing you should do, of course, is uh, listen to this podcast. Learn more. We have amazing guests. And one way that you can support us is by uh, subscribing, liking, leave a, a review. That would be an extra dope step on your behalf. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Matthew. How are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So the coach's coach. Um, We've uh, had, had some chats and um, I've heard a little bit of your story, but really just looking forward to um, digging into that. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm just excited. To get <laughs> I don't know do what it. else to say. Yeah, it's like a first date. It is like a first date. It, it, it's very common. And um, one thing that I've done from the very beginning is just be myself on here. So <laughs> sometimes I'm a little awkward, but I'm cool with it. Um, so you got recommended to me by to me by uh, Dennis Meralda, who's a, a friend of mine, and he had you on his podcast and couldn't have enough to say. So now that I've set it up in 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 that, uh, you know, what are you all about, man? <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Like, it's just that question at you know in the beginning of every class or like you know, <laughs> seminar you go to. Like, tell us about yourself. And you're like, I. Uh... <laughs> I like animals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Long walks on the beach. Is that what we say? Um, no. So, uh, yeah, my my background, uh, as you're probably going to hear shortly, is pretty layered. Um, but in regards to what I do today, current day, um, the coach is coach because I love to support individuals who um, have reached a specific place in their journey where they have decided that uh, they really want to uh live in service, right? They want to uh, better understand how to help others overcome something that, uh, you know, they've been through. And it's my intention to, to step into that journey and support people uh, in understanding like just the deeper nuances of their stories um, and really identify uh, the difference between you know, what someone teaches versus what someone coaches um, and really learn how to uh, extract the wisdom from, from your struggles, right. Versus just the pain. Um, cause I truly believe that it's, it's our struggles that make us the authority, right. Not our perfections. Um, so <clears throat> without me, you, you may find, 
uh, me going down rabbit holes pretty frequently here. So feel free to interject at any time. I like rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. I love rabbit holes. Yeah. So, I, yeah, so I do it all the time as well. I want to, I want to, before we step and go any further, I mean, you've been coaching for four years. Coaching mm-hmm. is, seems like it's kind of just exploded. Maybe it's just my focus on that world or, or mm-hmm. my, my foray into podcasting in different realms. I talk to coaches every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but four years is a little longer than most that I talk to. Mm-hmm. So you started pre-pandemic, but a lot of coaches came out pandemic. So mm-hmm. were you full-time coaching before? I mean, were you doing this full-time? Yeah, so I've been full-time um, for a few years now. Uh, I'd say two or three of those. Uh, okay. I've been full-time. Um, now, full-time doesn't mean I was always doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. But yeah. I, was doing, I was doing it full-time. Um, but only in the last couple of years have, have I really, um, uh, been able to find, uh, you know, my thing, if you will, right? right. Like it started out as a dating coach and, you know, it turned into, uh, all different things. I had someone actually ask me on a sales call not too long ago, uh, <laughs> what my pronouns were my coaching pronouns. Like, so what do you, what do you identify as? Like, what do you call yourself? And I thought that was so hilarious because, you know, in the coaching space, you really just kind of come up with your own titles, yeah. uh, which can be yeah. fun, but it can also be really challenging when someone's like, so, you know, what do you do? Who, you know, what do you coach? And you're like, I, uh, what's the most clever thing I can say that I haven't heard someone else say yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, long-winded way of saying that uh, you know over the past couple of years I've really uh, been able to to better understand not just um, you know who I support but also how um, and why that specific group Um, so for anyone that is in the coaching space or started uh, has recently you know began their journey as a coach uh, trust the process (laughs) you know it's going to unfold it's going to uh, morph more often than you would probably like. Uh, but I do believe that is uh, a part of what makes someone, uh, give someone the ability to become a great coach. Yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to get to your story. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to get to your story, but I do want to mm-hmm. sit in this for a minute because a lot of people are talking about being coaches have tried being coaches have failed at being coaches. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people that, have, that I know that have succeeded at being coaches and rarely does it start where they start or where does it end or evolve to where they started? Like I was, I got into that whole scene to coach men and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to coach men. And it began with one thing and then it morphed into another thing and nothing was hitting, but the thing was it didn't give up mm-hmm. and it turned into something completely different, which actually it just ended up into a service mm-hmm. that um, not a coaching service, but that coaching, that, that, I sight line of coaching led me to where, um, I needed to be, which was trusting the process. And it's, boy, it's painful, isn't it? Sometimes oh my it's ridiculous. It's it, the amount of, uh, nights I have spent near panic and, and even recently, you know, just a few days ago, I just recently launched something, um, that I'm really excited about, but, uh, yet again, it's taking me into, uh, the unknown right? It's new territory. It feels uncertain, um, which triggers all your things, right? Which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, But yeah, I don't think, I think when you put yourself out there and decide that you're going to create something that's bigger than you, um, you, I assume not being one yet, but I assume it's much like being a parent where it's like, there's, 
it's the point of no return and every day is going to uh, challenge you in the most beautiful of frustrating ways. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I think when someone really embarks on a journey and I don't think it's just coaching, I think it's any entrepreneurial um, endeavor, you know, when you go, when you decide that you're going to create something, um, you know, the act of creation means you're, you're building something that doesn't currently exist. Right. So you're going to forever live in the unknown. Like there's familiar is, is, <laughs> is gone at that point. <laughs> well, that was what was hitting my mind. We're talking about coaching and I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing analogy for a business owner. It's an amazing analogy for getting married. It's an amazing analogy for having a kid. You mm -hmm. really are stepping into unknowns and where you think you're going is rarely where you end up. Uh -huh. Yeah. And the more you can just step into the process fail, all the failures, all the speed bumps, all the roadblocks and de detours are all a part of the process as long as you're learning and growing. And yeah. And I think the big key here, I often speak about, you know, living through principles or values versus context of story or, or um, goals. And, you know, one thing that I am really beginning to understand a little deeper than I ever have is, um, when you're creating something that you, you know, that doesn't currently exist, right? Be it, uh, and I mean, creating something in your life, right? It doesn't mean that you're out building something that the world has never seen, right? But when you're creating something in your life that uh, is brand new to you, be it um, a healthy relationship, be it, you know, a business, be it um, a, a new fitness or, or diet routine, whatever it is, um, I think it's more important to uh, focus on trust, versus confidence. Right? What I mean by trust is, are, do you trust yourself to show up? Do you trust yourself to follow through even when it feels messy? Do you trust that you are going to um, stand for what's right uh, when it's not convenient? And you know, I think when someone develops a, a deeper sense of trust in themselves, anything at that point is possible, right? Because you're never gonna feel confident right? Things will become a little more familiar to you and it's going to feel a little less um, uh, triggering perhaps, right? Your relationship to it gets to evolve. Uh, but I don't think that there's ever really, I think confidence is, uh, it, it's the wrong like metric to, um, to score your abilities by, right? <laughs> It's like I needed to hear this personally today. Thank you very much, <laughs> by the way. Um, I mean, you just, <clears throat> there's a lot of depth in there. There's a yeah. lot of depth in what you just said. This whole trust yourself thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to go with it because I'm, go there. my brain is going <laughs> in all different directions. And I, yeah. you know, this is good. And I think I'm. my brain is hopping from all the things that men you know, in, in doing this for the time that I've been doing it and the messages I get and the, the things I see guys post and ask questions about, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of struggle with not trusting themselves, a lot of struggle with stepping out of what they know into something different. And what I've seen over and over again is that that place where they're, they're the lack of confidence and the lack of trust in themselves is literally holding them back from saving their marriage is literally holding mm -hmm. them back from being a good father, from getting a, an upgrade in their financial life, from starting a business, from getting a raise and being a better employee. I mean, like everything has this one little 
uh, it's like a marble when you're skateboarding, right? Mm-hmm. Like you hit it and it, and it just, you come to a, a sudden stop instead of <laughs> like, what can I do to, to get around this marble? And that's just trusting yourself, stepping out and going into that unknown and going mm-hmm. through it. And even if you hit the marble and eat shit, right? Trust yourself that you'll, you'll come back. You'll well, that's that. going to happen a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I often talk about too, I think, you know, when it comes to any type of transformation, which is really what we're talking about, right? When you're creating something brand new, we're talking about a transformation. Um, and if you really want to go deeper with that, it's a, it's an identity transformation that's required, right? <clears throat> but I think uh, what's most important is to understand that any transformation or any success uh, in any area that's important to you in your life, it's, uh, it's about learning how to recover more quickly versus how to appear perfect. Yeah. Right. Like if all, imagine if all we did was focused on recovering more quickly, right. How much um, anxiety would, would go away? How, how many uh, fears and of the uncertainty would go away if you knew that uh, what mattered was the ability to recover more quickly versus oh, I can't do this because I'm pretty certain it's not going to be perfect. So I need to hold back until, you know, I think it'll be perfect, be it a relationship, be it a business, be it a gym routine, be it, I mean, name it, right? It doesn't matter. It's all the things. What a setup for failure. If you, if you literally are waiting and trying to get everything aligned to be perfect, you're not going to hit the mark. It's not going to happen. So you're wasting all this time trying to get there. Then when you get there, you're set up for, for failure you fail and you're like, see, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think too, kind of what we're touching on is uh, a relationship to information, right? What I mean by that specifically is feedback, mm-hmm. right? Be it from your market, be it from your spouse, be it from your children, be it from your boss, doesn't matter, but feedback. Um, <clears throat> and I think oftentimes, you know, when we are focused on being perfect, our relationship to that feedback is evidence of our failures, right? Versus, uh, that information being feedback that allows me to refine what it is I'm doing and be able to move it a little further along. Yeah. I think a lot of times we're afraid of that information. We're afraid of those critiques because, and this is myself right now, like I'm not at all talking about anything that I'm not currently experiencing um, <clears throat> literally this morning. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, I think when you can trust yourself to show up, despite the discomfort, right, then you're capable of, of, you know, creating something well beyond your, your imagination. So good. I, there's several thoughts that came to mind. Number one, uh, I had a rough morning, had a rough night. And um, I pride myself as being very vulnerable. I pride myself yeah. having an incredibly inc- incredible marriage, like yeah. married for 25 years. We started as best friends, you know, dated in high school, the whole thing. And there's still like last night, my confidence was just like nothing with, mm-hmm. with in my marriage. And I'm like, what yeah. is the problem? And it's, it's a constant struggle. But one thing that I, I don't know why it stuck with me, but about five years ago, um, for some reason I was drawing, I, I do get a creative edge once in a while. And yeah. I was drawing and I drew a Phoenix and I was like, you know, I don't even know what a Phoenix is, you know, it's this bird and there's all, always fire involved. And I'm like, it's just really cool looking. <laughs> and I looked it up and I'm like, Whoa, 
like, you know, something born from the ashes of failure or loss or whatever. And it really almost gave me permission, that visual, that story gave me permission to look at all of my failures in life and be that image alone and researching what it was gave me permission to be like, wow, uh, I can basically rebirth myself into something better from that crash and burn. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's actually one of the pieces that led to the brotherhood of fatherhood. I crashed mm-hmm. and burned as a father and a husband early in my years. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, here I am, I, this is something better is birthed out of it. So there's also this, like giving yourself permission to go there and be okay with man falling flat on our face, probably daily. I mean, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. And I think too, when you going back to trust, right. Tying this together. And first I just want to acknowledge what you shared because you know, although you didn't go into detail, you experienced it all over again, just saying that you had a rough night and a rough morning, right? right. So I just want to take a second and acknowledge that, you know, that was you know, a very real uh, moment and worthy of, of being honored um, and proud of you for showing up, <laughs> whatever, whatever that meant or whatever that looks like, or, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I think um, it's just important to, to acknowledge um, but what I was, what I was going to say is, um, you know, trusting, trusting yourself. So, oh, here's the point. I kind of lost track for a second. So when it comes to trust, right, think about it in terms of, um, let me use the analogy of battle, right? Having never been in battle. So all respects to those who have, um, <clears throat> but what, what I'm thinking about here is like, who would you trust more, right? If you were going to go out in battle and you had to follow someone and, you know, one guy comes in and his his uniform is pristine. I mean, all the buttons are aligned. It's tucked the way it's supposed to be. It's pristine. And he's, you know, speaking about what plan he's going to, you know, uh, take you to complete, right? Whatever it is, what mission. Or you have another guy that walks in who's tattered, right? He'd been at, he's been in the field, lived it, came back, right? And he's the one uh, that's telling you what, what's going to happen in fewer words. Right. You know, which one do you think you would actually trust more? Right. Right. It's the guy that's been through the battle. It looks like he's been through the battle. Yeah. And that's the irony, right? We don't even trust perfection. Right. Yet we're trying to accomplish it. Right. So I think when you allow yourself to, to recognize that it's everything that you thought or think that disqualifies you. Those are the very things that make you highly qualified Mm -hmm. to do whatever it is that you're pursuing, right? To support whoever it is you were uniquely designed to support, right? It's the fact that, you know, you've messed it up a few times that makes you qualified to be a great father. It's the fact that, you know, you've really fucked up in relationships. That's what makes you qualified to uh, grow into a great partner and a great husband, Right. It's not, I think it's when we try to hide those things, um, even from ourselves, you know, that's where we really begin to um, uh, go down a path that is so much more uh, difficult and so, so unnecessary, right. In an attempt to appear as if I used to say, like, I was a professional appear as if like, that was my (laughs) whole thing. Right. It was, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm learning the difference between uh, performance, right? That appearance to, uh, to presence, right? This being, this understanding, this, this 
deeper knowing and just being able to be present with a situation, present with a person, present with a conversation, present with a goal, right? Um, versus performing. So I have a lot of things that I could jump into here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just something that I've learned, especially during while speaking on, um, I feel like sometimes I have to be a voice or I feel called to be a voice to, to speak things or at least say them. So maybe it falls on a few ears of what I believe have been real impactful forward um, facing moments, moments that have moved me forward. One of them was really coming to grips that the stories I tell my boys, my sons, mm. um, I tell more stories to them. And I think this is quite flipping the script from a lot of dads. I don't live the, the glory days. They ask me questions about, you know, I used to skate. How good were you, dad? What could you do? You know? Um, and then, you know, when did you learn to drive and all these things I feel real prideful, <clears throat> you know, how, how did you learn to shoot a gun so well, all these things. But then I learned to flip the script and tell them really where I've messed up in life. And I'm looking mm -hmm. for opportunities where they're messing up and where I can relate that, relate that to where I messed up because I've learned that once you can um, embrace that stuff that's happened and, and pass it. Like that is like my big torch that I want to pass is like, here's all the errors I've made and other men have made. And here's what you don't need to go through because I'm going to pass this torch to you. I'm going to live this failure out. I'm going to tell you how it, what it did for me and how I moved forward with it. So I just feel so incredibly strong about being very vulnerable and being very open and being live, reliving our life from a point of teaching rather than, um, standing on a pedestal and look how amazing I am puff my chest out. And, you mm -hmm. know, I was, I was first string football team and, and live vicariously through our kids, but also give up. But at this, in this regard, give our kids permission to mess up because they're going to mess up all the time yeah. and then to learn from it. So here's where I want to go with this. Now I want to hear <laughs> some of your stories. You didn't just get into talking this deep about trust, trusting yourself and mm -hmm. failure and, um, you didn't get to a place as a man where you're so vulnerable without going through a crap load of crap. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure because with, if you're coaching, uh, you know, in lines to things with trauma, mm -hmm. you obviously have experienced trauma. That seems to be how the, these things go. <laughs> so whatever you're willing to share, give, give our listeners a little bit of background about really what brought you full circle to what you are doing today. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll give the cliff notes here and I'll let you kind of, lead us after wherever you want to take it. Um, but you know, my story's layered. Um, I'll say this quick little disclaimer. You don't get into psychology because you have your shit together. I noticed right? that. I have a degree in psychology. I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. So I pursued psychology because I was on a mission to understand and, and really heal myself. Right. Um, in the beginning it, it wasn't healing. Um, you know, I was just trying to better understand, uh, my experiences. Right. <clears throat> um, and you know, my story really, the cliff notes are, uh, early childhood sexual abuse, uh, you know, from an older male, uh, roughly five or, uh, yeah, roughly five to six years. So about, you know, five to 11 years old. Um, quite literally, there's no two things that men can do with each other sexually that I did not experience by my sixth birthday. Um, so that led to, um, <clears throat> you know, struggles with sexuality that led to struggles with, you know, understanding my self-worth, 
Um, you know, I truly believed going into my uh, early adult years, you know, early 20s that I used to say it all the time, like uh, my I believe that my purpose on this planet was to be a physical experience for other people. Um, and, you know, that led into uh, I was literally an escort for a while. I you know, fell into drugs and alcoholism and, uh, you know, nearly committed suicide on a cocaine crash. Um, when I say nearly, it's because the method in which I would have uh, followed through had I done it, um, there would have been no coming back. Right? I had a loaded 45 caliber uh, handgun. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's it, to, to skip some of the detail, um, you know, my, my girlfriend, my partner now, my life partner, Allison, you know, she, she and I, we've been together going into six years, but the beginning of our relationship is when we met, I was just beginning my spiral, right? And our relationship really uh, kind of put that in the fast lane for me. Uh, it was love at first sight, literally. Um, our story's kind of funny, but our, it was love at first sight. And, uh, but in the beginning, our patterns began dating, right? The, the humans fell in love and then our patterns began to date. And both of our patterns were pretty, um, uh, we'll say, triggering to one another, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's our relationship has taught me more about psychology than any book or degree I've ever, you know, completed. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I could take this 100 different places, but, um, you know, I've dealt with overwhelming public scrutiny. Um, I've dealt with, you know, the immense amount of shame, uh, that comes with, uh, the decisions I've made throughout my life and the, um, the things that I had experienced. Um, and that's really the, you know, kind of putting the, the foundation here. Like that's, that's what I build my, my programs and my stories on is, you know, understanding the deeper nuances of what goes on behind closed doors. Right. So one of the things that, you know, as a man's man, I grew up in, on a farm in Indiana, rural Indiana. Right. So it's big trucks, beer, football, guns. You know, it's what you think about in the quintessential like man's man type of world. Um, and I struggle with everything from, again, my sexuality to what it means to be a man to, uh, you know, really carrying a lot of shame around uh, feeling like a coward. Um, you know, not feeling good enough, strong enough, smart enough, rich enough, you know, all of these things. And I'll say that, uh, uh, you know, when I fell in love with Allison, that's when it all came to the surface because, uh, you know, there's only two things that will ex uh, expose any human being rather, but there's only two things that will expose you for every single insecurity and every single survival pattern uh, if you wish to make them successful. And those two things are falling in love and starting your own businesses. Right. There's no way that either of those two things, those two relationships, business or, or, or romance, can grow beyond the individual. So true. Right. So it was uh, it, it was my relationship with Allison that really, you know, brought the stuff. It's like dredging a lake. It's kind of how I describe it. Right. You bring the shit up to the surface so you can clean it out. But in the process, it was. Uh, the messiest it was uh shameful at times um terrifying always <laughs> and uh quite frankly the um the best decision i ever made was to 
um, continue to recover. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> yeah. So your, your relationship with Allison was the, mm -hmm. was the catalyst for your massive change. Yeah, the, the timing of it was um, brilliant in many ways. Um, you know, it was, uh, I knew that, so the love at first sight was, is a huge part of our story, right? Not just in conversation, but in regards to the transformation, uh, because what I learned in those early years was that uh, basically what had happened is I had uh, finally met someone uh, that meant more to me than, uh, than my stuff. Right. I met the thing that I'm like, okay, not walking away from this. So I got to face some shit head on. Right. And I learned how to do that through her grace, through her kindness, through the space that she would create for me to um, fuck up right? quite a bit. Like I said, in the beginning of our relationship, there were drugs in my life. There were, you know, very promiscuous relationships. There were, uh, you know, all the shame and, and depression, you know, it's, uh, I was really fun at parties and really difficult to date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, but I did want to interrupt for just a second because I am super passionate about a new tool that I've found and been using for the last month or so. And if you're like me, the thought of writing copy puts me into cold sweats. But we all know that writing blogs, social media posts, web copy, ads, and more are part of life and can make a considerable impact on moving the needle to success in your business or job. We all know how difficult it can be to wrangle ideas, action words, and details, not to mention time constraints. Fear not. I have found a solution that allow, will allow you to easily crank out stunning copy in minutes. It's Jarvis, guys. It's probably hit your social media feed and you think it's too good to be true, but it is not. Jarvis is the latest artificial intelligence technology that will help you create content at lightning speed with little effort on your part or hefty fees for writers. You fill in two easy steps and it'll lay out descriptive paragraphs, both short and long-form articles, bullet lists, social media posts, blog posts, ad copy, SEO copy, Google ad copy, it gets super detailed. There are tons of templates to choose from. It's totally up to you. It's two steps, and it blows me away every time I use it. In fact, it just keeps getting better and better. So if you're like me, the thought and thought it was too good to be true, trust me, this product kicks ass. I literally use it every single day for per personal and professional use. Just go try it for free and use my link uh, and it's in the show notes. I'm not going to read it to you because it's crazy, but go to the show notes, click on the link, sign up for your free trial. You will never look back. And this is a great way to support this podcast. Super simple for you, for your business. Send it to your boss, send it to your friends. It will revolutionize workflow. The link is in the podcast notes. And if you want to support the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, this is a great way. So the, this is the question that kind of comes to my mind is you, you found this love at first sight, this relationship mm -hmm. basically was the start of really bringing things 
full circle where you mm -hmm. saw something bigger than your troubles where you mm -hmm. saw it, you know, so for men, and I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this working with people, um, going through trauma for men who've experienced trauma. And let me be clear. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't think there's very many people that get through their childhood without some sort of trauma that, you know, uh, it, there's just varying levels of it. Yeah. And I'll jump all over that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's men who are in relationships. They even have kids. They, mm -hmm. they have jobs, but they are stuck. They are so stuck that they mm -hmm. literally cannot be a better husband. They literally cannot be a good dad. And they literally are stuck in a career that sucks because mm -hmm. they're stuck. Mm -hmm. They haven't found or they haven't attached those things that they have that are bigger in their life, like their kids, mm -hmm. their spouse, their girlfriend, whatever it is, mm -hmm. to change. What do you what do you say to someone like that? Because you obviously had this thing and it was boom, it was it was huge. It was mm -hmm. right in front of you. I gotta do this, I gotta go through this. Well, I think the biggest thing that comes up right away is, you know whether it's children, whether it's falling in love, you know, those two things specifically, I think in this conversation are important to, to look at. If a, a man, I think anybody, but I'm going to you know, speak directly to the men here. I think if a man doesn't have qualified support in his life, you know, during those phases, and when I say qualified support, I mean like genuine mentorship, right. Um, you know, it's uh, extremely common that the presence of things bigger than yourself that actually matter to you more than anything else in the world, if you don't have qualified support to help you navigate that, what often happens is it's not an inability to be a good husband. It's not the inability to become a good father or be a good father, but rather the presence of things bigger than yourself highlight your insecurities in such a way that we... Uh, we use those struggles, we use those insecurities as evidence of our um, not enough, right? Because my children, because I have children, it's, uh, it's only proving that I'm, I'm not strong enough, smart enough, rich enough, blah, blah, blah. You know, falling in love with someone is only, is only brought up, uh, you know, these insecurities, which uh, are the evidence that I'll never be enough, I'll never be, you know, supportive, uh, protective, uh, whatever, all the things, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's extremely important to recognize that it's not an inability, but rather it's the relationship to what comes up because of the proximity of something that's bigger than you. Um, and that's where, you know, that was, I don't have children yet, but that was uh, my relationship to Allison, right? In the very beginning, it was like, um, I couldn't avoid, because I couldn't avoid my stuff. It was just constantly, um, uh, it was a constant reflection of the parts of myself that, uh, I believe were broken and flawed and the way that I would protect myself, right. Emotionally, anytime that I felt that insecurity is, and this is true. And, and I think many, uh, being politically correct, I think, I believe it's true in all of us, uh, but was to project anger. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't Allison that I was actually uh, afraid of, right? But it was the fact that at that stage, when I was my most angry, right? It was a big part of my transformation was facing my anger. Um, you know, when I was uh, uh, going, when I was going through that, the biggest lesson that Allison taught me that 
during that time that's really resonated with me uh, is understanding that two realities can exist at one time. What I mean by realities, I mean emotional experiences, right? And the one thing she would say to me, and it, it always resonated, uh, now I live by it, is that, uh, let me use anger as an example, is that you can be angry and kind at the same time. True. Right? And it took me years to understand what that meant, right? Because, you know, being angry, really what it is, is, is just a projection of insecurity, right? I often say, uh, you know, anger is a weak man's attempt at strength, right? <clears throat> it's kind of like if a, if a bar fight, you know, let's say breaks out, you know, which guy are you actually more afraid of? The one that's popping off, trying to scream at you and call you all the names or the guy that's behind him that's just a little too calm for that situation, right? Yeah. The guy that's a little too calm has nothing to prove because he are, he's aware that he can, he can, he trusts that he can handle whatever happens, right? There's trust in his training. Whereas the guy that's popping off, he's projecting insecurity and his, his attempt at staying safe is to intimidate you so that you don't expose him, right? The same in relationships, right? I'm going to intimidate my partner so that you don't expose my weaknesses, my insecurities, et cetera, or perceived weaknesses, I should say, right? <clears throat> same with children, you know, don't you dare, you know, talk to me that way. Don't you dare talk about, well, it's like all these things. It's, it, it, I find that when you go from, uh, projecting to presence, right? When you trust your training, you trust your, your ability to recover when you don't get it perfect, right? You trust that um, your example is what makes you a great father, not your perfection, right? And I think the biggest thing too in, in, in this case is instead of uh, it's no because I said so, right? it's no and this is why, and it gives some context, I think is extremely important. And when you mess up, you know, if you pop off, if you get angry, if you say something you really didn't mean in the moment, whatever that looks like, have the courage to go back to your children, go back to your spouse and explain what you were feeling in that moment and why you projected. Um, because what I find is that those that, you know, it's not the popping off that creates the issue. Right? It's the unwillingness to um, go back and reflect, you know, with the people that experienced your anger, experienced your, you know, your projection, because what you're doing is creating an understanding, right? With understanding, there's no trauma. Yeah. Right? Doesn't mean it was great. Doesn't mean I liked it. But when I have a better understanding of what made you act that way, right, then yeah, it, it doesn't carry the, the, the sting that it would had you just popped off and then, you know, never come back around and talk to me about it, leaving me to feel as if it was, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm the problem. You know, I'm ruining your life. I'm the burden, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I think it's important that we find the courage to go back once we've calmed down and, uh, you know, better articulate what we were experiencing or what we were feeling at the time, right? Versus just saying, get over it, walk it off, man up. Yeah, which is not a good, <clears throat> it's so difficult because when I think of like man up, 
because that's a that's a concept that comes into my head a lot when mm -hmm. I, I watch as like this outside guide or outside observer sometimes in our in our group men will say something but they will take the victim mindset like very like well well i i can't be fit because da, 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 you know mm -hmm. i go to work at 4 a.m and i do this and i can't do this and it's just this victim mindset in my mind i'm thinking man up dude stop being such a wuss but what i'm really thinking isn't like just man up it's mm -hmm face your limitations and and go after what's holding you back like it's it's a lack of courage that's what i mean by that and that statement in my head maybe i need to reframe that but um a lot of men have a very a massive lack of courage mm -hmm. and, and that's actually yeah. So that's a huge one in my book. And what I often talk about is, you know, I, I said at the top of the conversation that I, I like to look at life as living through principle or values, well, courage being one of them, right? Context is irrelevant. Right? Human beings, we're emotional creatures with the ability to express logic. And we're not logical creatures with the ability to express emotion. Right? <laughs> Emotions are running the show at all times. Right. And one of my favorite things, especially working with men, you know, night <clears throat> when you hear like, oh, I'm not emotional. Like how often do you get angry? Like all the time. I'm like, you're you wanna, really emotional. Yeah, you want to talk about it? You want to unpack that a little bit? Because I don't know if you're aware, but anger is an emotion, <laughs> right? You're highly emotional, right? It's impossible. It's biologically impossible not to be, right? <clears throat> and um, you know, I think that uh, you know, one of the I'm going to jump into uh, shortly. I'm going to jump into a little bit of the biology to make this make sense, right? Because that piece is really what helped me look at myself with a little more kindness, a little more grace, um, because I understood that, you know, my behaviors were not a product of my um, flaws, right? But they were a product of survival uh, based on, you know, biology, which I'll jump into in a second. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, what often happens in our culture and our society is, as men, is that, you know, it's imagine if you were born with a full tool belt, right? You got all the, the thing, you got the, the saw, the nails, the rulers, the drill, the hammer, you got all the things that you're going to need to build a, a beautiful home, right? A dream home. And excuse me. And imagine that your, your tool belt at birth is full, right? These tools specifically in this conversation are your emotions, mm. right? There's happiness, there's joy, there's uh, shame, there's guilt, there's excitement, there's, you know, contentment, there's all these things, right? That's your full tool belt. And as we start going through our, our youth, we, uh, instead of being given uh, uh, training on how to use each one of those tools, like we would train someone, you know, building it like a carpenter would train an apprentice, right? This is how you use these, um, these tools at this time for this reason. This is why, you know, yeah, that pencil may not be the strongest tool in your belt, but it may be the most important mm -hmm. when it comes to marking where you're going to cut, right? So it's understanding how to use each of these emotions and what they're, why they exist inside of us. What often happens, instead of being taught how to use each tool effectively, people start removing our tools, right? Specifically, you're not allowed to feel shame. You're not allowed to feel insecure. You're not allowed to be scared. You're not allowed to, you know, do all these things. And what is left of most men's tool belts are happiness and anger. 
now go build a house. That's like being left with a hammer and a saw. Right. And you're like, cool, go build the house. And here's the thing. As a human being, you're hardwired to problem solve. You will figure out how to build a shelter <laughs> using these two specific tools, right? It's all you have, so I'm going to use what I got. Problem is, how stable do you think that house is going to be if those are the tools you use? Yeah. Right? You're just uh, first sign of uncertainty, the first sign of, you know, any vulnerability, boom, the house is done. Right. So if we wouldn't expect to build a house with just a, a hammer and a saw, why in the hell would we expect to build a life with only those tools? Right. And this is where I think a lot of the, the conversation needs to shift, especially in men in our culture, is that, you know, this idea of weakness. Right? Show me anger and I'll show you weakness. Period. Right? The, anger, the angriest man in the room is the weakest. How do I know this? I was him. Mm-hmm. I still navigate him. Right? The only time I've ever popped off and screamed and yelled, and by the way, my anger was never with other men or like out in the streets. My anger only showed up with my partners. You know, if there's a, an ex of mine listening to this, they probably got some stories. Right. <laughs> I know they do. Right? So let me take this moment and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I better understand now. But the truth is that anger typically would only come out when uh, a situation made me feel insecure, right? So it was my insecurity that I was trying to protect, right? That was it. Yeah. I mean, that, that gives you a, if you really think through that and you step back and look at your own life like it's a movie, uh, it's really easy to identify your insecurities and mm-hmm. your, your, your presentation and what that really means. And it's probably a little horrifying for some people. Yeah. 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 But I think that that's the, is, is that really the first step is step, stepping back and looking and seeing like, wow, that is why I do what I do. I think it's learning to um, approach our lives in the same ways that we approach athletics, for example. Right. You play a game, you, you make some turnovers, you know, you show up the next day and you watch film. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go and, and then you go and practice. Right. And if you think I'm going to use football as an example, like if you think about football, you know, if anyone's ever played, you know that in practice, the majority of the time you're in your position drills. Right. You're out working with your specific position coaches and, and these kind of things. Rarely or you don't scrimmage until you know, the end of practice a lot of times, Mm -hmm. right? But what happens in our lives is that we go to the game to practice. We never actually go and work on our positions, our weaknesses. We never look at film. We just show up to the game under the lights and and try to act as if we got our shit together, right? When we've done no reps whatsoever, right? So I think that's what happens oftentimes. We don't have qualified support is we go to our relationships to work out our shit. Instead of working out our shit, and then coming back to the relationship. Yeah. Right? And there's no perfect way of doing this, but it's if all you did is give yourself one, one extra moment where you're working on your stuff and your, your own time, be it with a coach or a therapist or reading or listening to a podcast like this one, whatever it is, that's like you, you know, sharpening your tools and then bring whatever you take from it back to your relationship and practice, right? You're practicing 
being a great father. You're practicing being a great husband. You're practicing being a CEO of your company. It's practice. And I think when we allow ourselves to practice these things with the expectation of, of course, I'm going to make mistakes, but I trust that I'm going to show back up. Right, that recovery process. Mm -hmm. That's where the skill is developed. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a form of um accepting your own flaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's just there, there's so much good wrapped in that approach. I mean, that's uh, I feel like a therapy session here, but that's really what happened <laughs> last night with me and my wife is I, mm -hmm. I was acting like or I was entering the game and not mm -hmm. practicing first. Mm -hmm. And then my own insecurities, like looking at it, it, my own insecurities were the absolute everything to that whole issue. Mm -hmm. And why did I bring her into it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's so good because it's so applicable to pretty much everything we do and every difficulty we're having. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love the football analogy. I love the I, football uh, analogy. I, I'm a Colts fan. So Monday night last night was a rough night too. <laughs> Uh, if anyone's watching in real be time, be watching they, film today. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope they recover. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but no, I think I want to take a moment here and and uh, um, bring the biology piece full circle. Okay. And so this, if if any man listening to this or anyone listening to this takes nothing else away, this is what I hope that you gain. Right. And it's an understanding this aspect of our biology. When I say our biology, I'm, I'm I spend a lot of time focusing on the nervous system. Right. So, and with that fight, flight, freeze response. Yep. So, um, and anyone that's not familiar with what that is, it's fight, flight, freeze is basically how we um, act in the face of a real or perceived threat, right? So bringing this all the way back now, uh, between the ages of zero to six, right? All of us, all human beings, past, present, future, between the ages of zero to six, we establish over 60% of what we learn to be true about ourselves and the world around us, right? And when I say learn to be true, what I really mean is believe to be true, right? So, so from zero to six years old, you're establishing well over half of what will eventually become your identity as an adult, right? Now, the other thing that's also extremely important to recognize is between zero and six, you're also 100% dependent on your caregivers to meet every single physical and emotional need required for your survival, right? So what this means is during the stage in your life where you're establishing well over half of what you believe to be true about yourself, you are 100% dependent on others, right? So when we are facing uh, the not good enoughs, trust that that's not reality today. It's not that you're not good enough. Right, but rather you're operating on a primitive system, on an outdated software that when you decided you weren't good enough or, or believed you weren't good enough, it's because you were probably at an age, you know, zero to six, where you weren't strong enough yet. You weren't physically tall enough. You weren't capable of creating anything brand new. Like there was legit limitations on your abilities at that stage in your life. But as a 37-year-old man, I now know that I can but my conditioning says that I'm incapable, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here. So at any point, let me know if, if it's not tracking. 
Um, so bring me back to an elephant, say that in a second so I can tell a story. Um, but the other thing that's important to recognize is that your nervous system, right? It's hardwired. It's sole priority is to keep you alive physically, right? And it only cares about the immediate moment, mm -hmm. right? It does not give a damn about tomorrow. It doesn't give a shit about next week, 10 years from now, right? And it surely doesn't care about your hopes, wishes, and dreams, right? Its only concern is your immediate physical survival. So when I talk about safety, that's synonymous with survival, okay? Now, um, you are hardwired to, do, or to avoid two very specific things in order to increase your chances of physical survival in any given moment, right? Those two things are, one, pain. We're hardwired to avoid pain at all costs, right? <clears throat> There's physical pain and emotional pain, right? Physical is pretty obvious. If you're allowing something to cause you uh, physical pain, if you allow it to persist, it will eventually lead to harm or death. Right. Well, same is true for emotional pain. Right. If we allow something that's causing us emotional pain to persist, it will eventually lead to harm or death. This often looks like um, uh, disease, depression, or worst case scenario, suicide. Right. Those are three examples of long term exposure to emotional pain. Right. In many cases, obviously, the disease one is outliers on everything, but trust that stress and anxiety lead to those things. I was going to say, I'm no doubt in my mind. Yeah. So that's one pain. The second thing, and what I believe shows up um, often, right? More often than the other, maybe, is especially when we're creating, when we're stepping into something that's new to us, right? So you're hardwired to avoid anything unknown, right? Unknown means anything unknown to you personally. doesn't matter if your best friend knows it. doesn't matter if your wife knows it, your kids know it. It doesn't matter who knows it, right? If you yourself have never experienced this thing, your nervous system identifies the unknown as unpredictable. It identifies it as a threat to your physical survival because it's unpredictable, right? Predictability in the wild equals survival, right? So for example, <clears throat> imagine you and I many, 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 many moons ago, we're leaving our cave, Right? We're going to go hunting for our tribe and we come across an animal that neither of us has ever seen before. We have no idea what this animal is capable of, how it's going to defend itself, right? Because we are in unknown territory, we are at greater risk of harm or death, right? Let's say other side of this, instead of coming across an animal, we're on the same hunt, but this time we venture off into the wilderness much further than you and I have ever gone before right? By all definitions, we're lost. We have no idea where we are, right? Because we're in unknown territory. Now, again, our chances of physical survival has just decreased significantly. We don't know what threats are in the environment. We don't know how we're going to find shelter, food, blah, blah, blah. Like the list goes on, right? So survival is what you are filtering any, your environment for at all times, at all costs, right? Now, here's another piece. Why do we find, why do we feel so threatened in relationships, right? So human beings, again, we are pack animals. We're tribal creatures. What this means is we require the acceptance of our pack in order to increase our chances of physical survival, right? If you've ever watched uh, a documentary on pack animals before, 
you know, what happens to the one that gets left behind? Dead, right? Done, yeah. right? Low-hanging fruit. I this is human nature at its rawest form. We are pack animals. If we are excluded from the pack for any reason, right? Too sick, too slow, not strong enough, not rich enough, not our dicks aren't big enough, whatever it is that's not enough, we feel as it's a threat to our survival. Because if you were to learn this about me, you would abandon or reject me. And if that happens to me in the wild, I'm dead, literally. So your nervous system is operating on a primitive um, um, survival, is operating on primitive on survival, physical survival. But we're living in a modern world where our survival necessities are as guaranteed, as more guaranteed than they've ever been in human history, right? So what happens is, as I said earlier, your nervous system is identifying the environment for real or perceived threats, right? We're operating in a world of perceived threats. Right? And the better way to describe this is being able to look at a situation and, and recognize whether or not you're in danger or you're just afraid. There's a difference. It's really interesting because um, I used to really get, I, mean, I, I would lose my decision-making skills, my confidence. Everything would go out the window when I entered a room into other people that I saw as better leaders than me. I mean, it mm -hmm. would totally, I've never thought of it from that primitive angle of like, this mm -hmm. is a, like a survival instinct because it's mm -hmm. like all of a sudden your ability, my ability to think rationally is gone. Mm -hmm. it's, I know better than this. I'm fine. I'm confident. I, I have assets. I have skills. I have things to bring to the table just because they have more money or mm -hmm. have been doing this longer or are taller than me, which is most of the world, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, it's, it's so crazy because I've never really kind of gone back to the, like the primal reason mm -hmm. that that occurs, but it's been so frustrating. It's such a big thing. Like, why do I get that way? Why do I lose all sense of rationale when I enter in that situation? It makes complete sense. Yeah. You're going into survival without realizing right. you're going to fight, flight or freeze. Right. So <clears throat> the, the reason being is again, the root is, I think the root of all of our fears is rejection and abandonment. Right. And when I talk about fears versus danger, I want to explain this part too. Right. So trust this going back to trust, right? This is the theme. If you're an actual danger, you're going to act on instinct. Mm -hmm. You're not, for example, I'm just going to, if, if a bear were to jump through your window right now, right. Are you thinking about how scared you are? I don't think so. No. I think I'm you're probably not thinking not. about it being afraid. You're not even thinking. Yeah. You're just reacting. Right. Right. So you're operating now on survival, right? Instinct. But, you know, going to your wife and, and you know, sharing something about yourself that is deeply insecure, terrifying. Yeah. For sure. Right. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being abandoned. Right. We're afraid that this, if you knew this about me, um, it would prove that I'm unlovable and you'll leave me. Right? And if you leave me in the wild, I'm the first to die. Right. So it seems extreme to think that every decision you're making is based on life and death. But this is why I don't believe there's any such thing as overreaction. So such thing as an overreaction. Right. From the perspective of your nervous system. Right. It's responding in direct relationship to the degree of threat it believes is in the environment. Mm -hmm. If you leave me, I'm dead. That's a pretty big threat. 
It is. Right. So when we, when we're able to understand that, you know, our, um, our nervous system is hardwired to keep us alive, not happy. Right. Cause here's another thing. So there's this whole world, there's this whole conversation in like positive psychology where it's like, you know, everything needs to be uh, optimistic and, and you need to find joy and bliss forever. Right. But let's look at this from a primitive perspective. So you're a hunter, right? Yes. Okay. So we're going to say, uh, this is going to get morbid. Is that okay? That's fine. All right. I, I, I'm, my analogies just crashed together. I'm like, oh, that sounds fucking awful. Uh, but I'm going to run with it because it's going to prove a point. So <clears throat> let's say that we're going to go, um, we're, we're going to go hunting for a victim. I'm going to let you decide what that is. Okay. And on one side, on our left side, let's, let's say we see, see one and they're in complete joy, bliss. What behavior might you see of something in complete joy? <laughs> Having sex. <laughs> Amazing. Right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. But so what's their, be are they, are they aware of dangers in their environment? Well, Probably I'm complete, not. Right? Yeah. right. So another way you'd say is like enjoy too. I hear people describe it a lot of times is like, you know, oh, they're skipping and they're whistling and they're looking up in the sky and they're enjoying everything around them. I go right? straight to sex. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're everything. Hey, <laughs> just enjoying your life. Yes. <laughs> Uh, right. But it's the same thing, right? So you have that on, so you have complete joy on one side, right? Now, remember, we're looking for a target on the other side, you have something that is, um, uh, extremely anxious and paranoid, right? What's the behavior you may see in that, that individual. Right. Yeah. Shiftiness, hiding. Right. Which one's the easier target? I would think it's the shifty one personally. Easier target. Okay. So oblivious, joyful person. Okay. Think about it. Right. How aware is the guy having sex to his threats? He's <laughs> not aware at all. I don't know why. I didn't not say. aware at all. Yeah. But the shifty, anxious one, hyper vigilant. Yeah. yeah. Right. So again, primitively speaking, in the wild, joy equals death. Mm. Gotcha because I've let my guard down. So for example, now let's, let's go to modern day. We're with our partners, right? We're with our wife. And they're asking us to, you know, just be in the moment, be present to a traumatized brain or to a nervous system that is hypervigilant. Peace and joy is the greatest threat. Oh, that's deep. Right. Because it's another way to describe it. It's like, um, uh, you're asking someone that's been in survival their whole lives to drop their guard, right? It's like, you know, if we were in a standoff and each of us had our gun drawn on one another, right? We're talking to each other, like saying, put yours down. No, put yours down. No, put yours down. Right? And eventually one of us is like, okay, I'm going to lead. Right? I'm going to start putting mine down. And the moment the other person even makes a slight movement, gun's drawn right back up, right? You're not going to take advantage of me. Right. Welcome to relationships. Yeah. Both of you. So this is the biggest thing that I learned in, in my relationship with Allison and learning, right? It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not a destination, right? Which is that, uh, and she, she's the one that instilled this. She would constantly talk about like, especially when I was in my, my deep insecurities and rage and stuff, she would constantly talk about, she's like, same team, same team. We're on the same team. Right? And it took me years to understand what that meant. I knew what it meant. Like, you know, in conversation. Right. But it took me years to trust that, oh, wow, she's not my enemy. Just because she's bringing up all my insecurities doesn't make her my enemy. 
right? We're on the same team. And when we learn, when you would rather, it's like, again, going back to sports, I'd rather, the reason why in football you, you do scrimmages versus first team offense, first team defense, right? The intention is to make each other better by exposing the weaknesses. You'd rather do that in practice than the championship game. Right. right? I'd rather my teammate expose my struggles so we can work through it than I would someone in the streets. So when we see our partner as our teammate, right, not our enemy, not our threat, and this takes time, it takes conscious effort, right? it takes awareness, it takes humility, and it takes a lot of fucking courage to put your gun down when you're operating subconsciously in survival. Yeah, so do you think that the majority of... Let's just let's just pick on men. Do you think the yeah. majority of men are still operating in survival mode? The majority of human beings. Yeah. Right. So we're born into learning how to consume our needs of safety. Right. So that zero to six, what we learn because we're completely unconscious, right? So you're born into an environment. You have to identify and adapt to that environment, right? It's what you're mm-hmm. wired to do. So essentially, what we're learning how to do is perform for our safety. If I act a certain way, my father will tell me he's proud of me. If I act a certain way, my mother tells me she loves me. If I act a certain way, I get fed. If I act a certain way, I get in trouble, right? I get grounded. I get rejected, right? I'm abandoned if I act a certain way, right? We call it discipline to the child. It's abandonment. It's rejection. They don't know any different. How could they, right? They're a child. So what we learn is how to perform for our safety. And then we grow into our teenage years, our adult years, and the world around us says, go create your own safety. Mm-hmm. Well, no one ever taught us how. So what we do is we subconsciously uh, seek out individuals that match our patterns because they're familiar. It may not be what's best, but it's what's most predictable. And if I can predict it, I can survive it. This is why people are like, it's an abusive relationship. Why don't like, it's, you know, better just get out. It's not, it's not conscious, right? Because here's the thing. If, if let's say some, let's say someone's in an abusive relationship, right? If they've been in that relationship long enough, they at least identify the triggers, right? They know how bad it gets when it's at its worst. And because they've seen it, they now believe they can survive it. So imagine this person operating with this belief that abusive relationships are inevitable. You know, everyone's going to abuse me, right? Well, what's the scariest thing to that person that believes every single person will abuse them, right? Being in an abusive relationship that matches that belief, at least I can predict it, or leaving that predictable, unhealthy, but predictable relationship and meeting someone who is really sweet and amazing and attentive and nurturing and all this. Again, to a, ner- to a nervous system that is uh, conditioned with trauma and chaos, peace is what happens just before the storm, mm. right? So the longer this person's nice to me, the scarier they become. It's like driving with your eyes closed. It's fun for a fraction of a second. I'm sure that this is poking people really really hard right now because I think a lot of us not only tend to operate in those ways and those mannerisms and don't understand it 
I think a lot of us are dealing with people in our lives that operate in those ways and we don't understand it. And we just look at it as hurtful, mm-hmm. but you know, you're, you're, it's a story I tell on almost every podcast because it just seems to be so relevant. It's like walking into a restroom that's hor- horrifically smelling Mm-hmm. and you walk in, but you got to do your thing. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you sit there for a while and you come out and you wash your hands and you're taking your time. Someone walks in and you notice that they are just absolutely blasted with the stink. You've been sitting in it for so long. That's what you now know. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. in these relationships are sitting in this and that's what they know. And that knowing is safety. Familiar equals predictable, predictable equal, equals survival. So again, when you're asking yourself to go beyond your comfort zones, you're stepping into unknown territory. Mm-hmm. starting a business, falling in love, it's all unknown, right? So the moment that you do it, your nervous system triggers um, uh, signals, rather, threat to your survival. So you're putting your guns up, right? It looks like anger. It looks like shutting down. It looks like running away, right? All the above, depending, right? But you're, put, you're protecting yourself from this unknown, this uncertain uh, um, future, right? So when people talk about self-sabotage, sabotage, you're not sabotaging anything, Right? Sabotage is not a sign of weakness or inferiority or brokenness. Sabotage is proof that your nervous system is working exactly as it was designed. Mm. Because what sabotage actually is, sabotage equals survival. Because when we go beyond our comfort zone into unfamiliar territory, we sabotage to recalibrate back into what we can predict, right? So for example, if I'm broke my whole life and I win the lottery, why do we, why does, why is there a lottery curse? You're well, you're too far beyond your comfort zone. Right. So you spin, 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 spin. And eventually you end up back exactly where you're most familiar broke. Cause at least I know how to operate here. I can survive this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love that human, that human nature, that human behavior, um, physiological, psychological, basically, if I were to kind of wrap this up in a bow, Mm-hmm. which is really basic, literally your ability to break through in relationships, business, finances, um, all those places that people really want to have breakthrough. This is the key. It's literally the key is, uh-huh. is taking control of and understanding why we go into this. So let me, let me, Primal response. Yeah. Yeah. Let me button this up real, real easily. So human beings require safety, a sense of safety to do anything new. Right. So people are like, okay, so if I'm hardwired to avoid pain, right. Insecurities are painful. Um, and, uh, hardwired to avoid anything that I've never experienced before. Well, how the hell do I become something I've never been? Right. How do I create anything new? If my body is designed to keep me from doing that, right? It's this, it's safety. Now, what I, so I I talk a lot on purpose, right? So I'm going to make this kind of quick. Um, So I I believe purpose has a formula, right? And it's specifically this, it's pain plus passion times safety equals purpose. Okay. So what do these things mean? Pain. Pain is the ability to extract the wisdom from your deepest struggles, right? Being able to, to extract from your pain, your deepest, darkest, the dark night of the soul. It's being able to extract the wisdom from that experience, not just the pain, right? Not just the suffering. So you have that wisdom now, 
plus passion. Passion is simply the shit you like to do, right? The problem I find that a lot of people, when they talk about purpose, is they think purpose is found inside of their passions. Not true. This is why people can become super successful at some shit they love and be void of all meaning. Yep. Right. Feel even more, it's a false summit, right? They're even more depressed once they achieve the thing because they realize it was never it to begin with. Right. right. So your passion is a vehicle in which you get to deliver that wisdom to the world. Right. For example, I'm a, I'm a truck guy. So imagine you just bought your, your, the most beautiful truck you've ever seen in your entire life. Right. The one you've been dreaming about since you were a child. What's more important to you, that specific truck or the people that are riding in it? Right? Yeah. I would imagine the people in it, right? I would hope so. Right, so yeah. would I. Otherwise I need to be in a different truck. Yeah. Right, so it's not the truck. The truck is what we desire, right? That's the passion. Gotcha. It's the vehicle in which we get to deliver the, the wisdom, the people that matter in this case, right? To whatever the destination is, right? So you have pain plus passion times safety. Why do I multiply safety? Because I don't think in human history, anyone has ever overdosed on safety, mm. right? It's the core of every single human behavior. doesn't matter if it's extreme violence or extreme isolation. Safety is the motivating factor, okay? So what is safety in this equation? It's qualified support. It's mentorship from someone who has been where you are going. That is the only way that we can feel just safe enough to do something we've never done is to be supported by someone next to us that has gone through it. For example, uh, pick a bucket list city you've never been to before. If we were to jump on a plane today, where are we going? Well, I'm going to Bora Bora. It's going to take me to get there, but yeah. Right. So have you ever been? No. No. Okay. So let's say we go to Bora Bora, right? So we land today. Now you have two options. You can either take the map, we're gonna go old school, right? The physical map that you can carry, not the iPhone shit. Uh, so you can either take a map and go explore Bora Bora on your own, or you can hire a local. Which one feels more safe? Well, that's interesting. I would prefer to hire a, a local. <laughs> 100%, right? Yeah. And we're assuming the locals on the up and up, okay? Right. So why? Why hire a local versus taking a map that clearly has all the information you need? They're going to help you avoid the bad spots. Bad oh. spots. They know all the secrets. Yep. They know the best, you know, the best drink. They know where to get the best sandwich. They know all this. They know that they know it all. They've been there, right? So here's the thing. This one adventure. So if we're out in Bora Bora on our own, no support, we feel lost. We're in Bora Bora with a tour guide. It's an adventure mm -hmm. because you feel safe. So you're able to explore the unknown with a sense of curiosity and excitement and joy when you are supported by someone who you know knows what they're doing. Right. Coaches, therapists, mentors. We cannot create anything new without qualified support. You'll never do it. It's not because you're incapable. Right? It's because you're hardwired to avoid it. Now, yeah, I think that's good. So last thing I want to talk about here, the timelines, are we good if I have the elephant story? Go for it. Okay. So I have a photo that I use in my teaching a lot. It's a drawing because the real photos are a little too much for me. But uh, an elephant back in the days where there was traveling circuses, right? So back in the day, original, you know, 
Barlam and Bailey stuff. So you may have seen this in photos or videos, but they would, uh, you know, go to these big fairgrounds or these big open plots of land and set up their circus. Well, the elephants are obviously massive creatures, right? So uh, in the early days, they would have the elephant shackled with one ankle to a stake in the ground. Mm -hmm. All right, you ever see this image? I think so. Okay. So if you've ever seen this image, you may have thought to yourself, how the hell does that keep the elephant there? Like, it's a massive creature. This thing is powerful. You're telling me that fucking stake in the ground is going to keep that elephant at bay? Not a chance, right? So why doesn't the elephant ever break it? Here's why. And I believe human beings are exact same. When an elephant is born into that environment, right, it's going to be a traveling circus elephant. They, as a baby, they put that elephant on the exact same uh, chain or rope to the exact same stake that it will be on as an adult, right? The difference is the baby isn't strong enough yet to break it, but it's going to try and it tries and it tries and it tries. It's making itself bleed and it's trying and it's trying day after day after day after day, weeks, months, maybe, you know, but what they learned is what will break. So the elephant, I'll say it this way, the elephant's belief that it's capable of breaking the chain will break before it's strong enough to physically break the chain. So it's belief in itself breaks before it's strong enough to actually break the chain. So what happens is by the time it grows big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to shatter that fucking stake or that chain, it never even tries yeah. because it believes it can't. And I believe this is what happens to human beings as well. And I don't think it's intentional, right? It's circumstantial. And we could spend three more hours on this, right? To make it really make sense. But understand that your early childhood conditioning, before you were big enough, strong enough, smart enough, rich enough to do the things that you wanted to do today, right? You learned in that zero to six, zero to seven, that you weren't something enough. And it's as if you're a full-grown elephant today that's fully capable of shattering those chains, but you never try because you don't believe you can. That's good. It's really good. I mean, the power conditioning is tremendous, it's yeah. ridiculous. And I, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you've heard anybody, you've heard me talk about like, you should not, you will not get as far without a mentor or a coach mm. in any circumstance. It's just the, it's, it's just the differentiator between stagnance and growth. It just, there's just no way around it. There's two motivating, it's the motivation is always survival, right? So you have people that are in dire straits that are surviving and they make the most because they're, because they were homeless and hungry and, you know, exposed to the elements like, and their willpower is immense because they had to be right. Yep. But the majority of us are in environments that are quite comfortable, mm -hmm. right? And our basic human needs to survive are matched. Therefore, our motivation to create something new doesn't exist, not because we're lazy, because according to my nervous system, for what? We're good here. Why would you go venture off into the unknown wilderness where they can attack you and do shit that you can't predict and kill you when you could just stay right here, binge watch this Netflix series, order another pizza, and let go of your dreams? Yeah. It's much safer. Let that sink in, listeners. <laughs> what, what are you what are you not doing now and what are you reverting to and do and participating in that is your safety zone i think that's favorite, 
favorite question. And that is, uh, what's your preferred method of sabotage? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, it's just what you said, TV, bad relationships, horrible jobs. I mean, it's, it's so common. In the sake of candor, you know, one of the biggest ones for men. What's that? Porn. Porn. Oh yeah. Porn. But you can't, you're not rejected. You get it every time. Every time. <laughs> it's so Guaranteed. false. It's yeah. so screwed up. Dopamine um, hit the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, Boy, uh, I kind of feel like that's one of the biggest sources of creating um, the lack of courage. I mean, there's just, there's no courage in it. There's no risk. It's, it's, yeah. And that's in your hardwired to avoid risk. Yeah. So no wonder. So an addiction isn't a flaw. It's a biological necessity. You identified a way to meet a need without expressing any, any energy whatsoever or very little. Great. Got it. Keep going. What else do you want to do? Yeah. 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 It's not a way to live though. Oh no. That's you surviving, but you're not living. Right. Right. Matthew, give us the details, man. So this has been phenomenal. And I, I think really the whole, the whole point of all of this is like, really, I think any listener, like if one piece of this kind of resonated with you and you don't know how to deal with it, which you probably don't like, really, you probably don't, you can't do it alone. Then you probably need to listen to the details. <laughs> give us, give uh, us your details. Uh, I gave you some, I gave you a lot of them. <laughs> no, I mean, give us, give us your resources. How do we find you? What do we, yeah, it's uh, uh, on IG. It's just my name, right? And that's really the only place I'm. I'm, I'm on other platforms, profile-wise, but I'm not really there. Right. Uh, so IG is the easiest way to get uh, in direct contact with me. Um, and like I said, as far as professionally speaking, I, I, I focus primarily on working with coaches, mentors, leaders um, to better understand themselves biologically, so they can. Uh, you know, create the safety they need to, to make the impact they desire. Right. And yes. I just get all that shit up in a second. Like, so I, I want to record that and type that out later. <laughs> you should, you should give it re come back on this because that that's really cool. You're impacting the impactors really. And that's why I love working with coaches specifically. It's because you don't get to that state. What that tells me is like, you've come to a point in your journey where you've decided that you want to be of service to others. Mm -hmm. That's where shit gets real. Yeah. Right. So there's the therapy stage, right? That understanding kind of going through it. I feel broken, recognizing you're not, you get to the next level where it's like, oh shit, I have something I can, a value that I can offer the world, right? My wisdom from my pain, right? Great. Now I want to be of service. That's the point of the journey who I love to support because, you know, that's from that day forward, everything is going to be unknown, right? But you're, you're unknown with a purpose, with intention. You're not just roaming aimlessly. Mm -hmm. Right. So I like to, be, I like to work with those in the trenches. I often say like, you don't get a coach, you get a teammate. Yeah. Right. We're going to be on the field together. We're both going to come back tattered and muddy and bloody. And that's the point. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Thanks brother. Absolutely. Thank you. Anything else you want to leave with? Uh, how many more hours you got? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll take that as a cue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about myself. I mean, I do have a degree in psychology. I've gone through all of this stuff, but it's the unpacking of it and the understanding and storytelling that was really impactful. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. 
hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.